Hey, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we start this next episode, I have a quick question for you. How do you feel about being subpoenaed in your private practice? If you have any fear, sense of dread, or worry, you are not alone. Please join us for our upcoming training with Nicole Stoller-Peterson on mastering your subpoena process in private practice. It's going to be an amazing training to help build your confidence, to help you serve your clients better, and to take out the guesswork when it comes to being subpoenaed in your private practice. All you need to do is go to zinnime.com and check out the training there. You will also get a recording if you sign up. We can't wait to see you there. Hey everybody, welcome to the Starting a Counseling Practice podcast. I'm Miranda Palmer with Zinnime, one of your therapist coaches, um, helping you to create a practice that leaves you happy and leaves you feeling good and confident. Today, we're going to be talking about specifically subpoenas, the thing that you Sometimes you even just hear the word subpoena and you feel this drop in your stomach, this drop in your gut, or you feel yourself just shut off and be completely numb. We have the amazing Nicole Stoller-Peterson here, an LCSW, an expert witness, and all these like a million other things that's going to be talking to us about subpoenas. She's here from Therapist Court Prep, where they help you prep for court when and if you need it. But we're going to be working with her today to talk about what you can do before you ever get a subpoena to protect yourself. And we'll also be talking a little bit. Nicole's going to be coming to provide a free training for y'all um, where we're going to be diving in even deeper than we will today. Nicole, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited to talk about this. You know, I could talk about this for days, so I'll do my best, do my best to keep my answers as concise as possible. I, girl, you know, I'm not mad at it. We, you do you. It'll be good. It's, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing up a subject that I think a lot of therapists really are not comfortable with, um, that there's a lot of panic and anxiety attached to. And mm-hmm. I think despite our training, despite what we offer to our clients, we have a tendency to avoid, um, we have a tendency to ignore or um, even really be in denial about something like this coming up for us in our practice. And so I think talking about it's really important and leaning into that discomfort. So thank you for that opportunity. Of course. Well, I think that, you know, in theory, right, the idea is that our supervised hours, our hours of experience prepare us for what it means to be in independent practice, right? <laughs> We're just talking about this. That this is, it's kind of funny, right? It, it is funny. <laughs> it is. It's in theory, right? Yes. Theory. In yes. reality, yeah. right? There are yeah. lots of reasons why. 3000 hours or two years or five years or many different things do not prepare us for all the nuances there. And and often there are pieces that even if you experience them at in a nonprofit as a pre-licensed person, or even as a licensed person in different locations, that doesn't mean it translates to you and independent practice and what that experience is going to be. And I think subpoenas is a perfect example of something that even if you have experienced a subpoena, 
you were not prepared for that beforehand. And even what you learned getting subpoenaed when you were an employee someplace else, it does not translate into what you really need to know as a business owner in private practice. It's just sort of like apples and oranges. And I think that really understanding that, that even if you're like, oh, you know, subpoenas are the worst or they're, they're not the worst thing in the world. I've, I've already experienced that. If you haven't experienced that in private practice, if you haven't actually been called into court yet in private practice, you probably do not have things set up in the way that you need to, to be able to have it not suck and cost you money and clients. Right. I, I think, um, and sometimes you might even get a subpoena in private practice, but that one experience doesn't even necessarily reflect what your future experiences will be with a subpoena. And, and it is very different when you're at an agency or um, something like that. And it comes in because you almost feel like you have a little bit more protection, if you will. Um, but that sometimes can open the door for just some time from what I hear some really bad advice at times. Um, like you don't have to go or just ignore it or <laughs> that always kills me. Or, oh, it's not signed by a judge. It's not real. Holy catfish. Let me just share a little tidbit. You get a subpoena. Okay. <laughs> and it's been filed with the court. It's real. Like, I don't care who signed it. I don't care if it says the cookie monster. Okay. If it came from a court and you, you and need it to has a little stamp on it. Is that <laughs> yeah. the magic? If it's got the little stamp. It's- it's got a stamp and it's so old school, right? I mean, now the stamps are kind of fancy because we're mostly on like e-files, but, but it's one of the things that I've heard. Um, or when I, I read sometimes in Facebook groups and my heart will sink, you know, Oh, I had this one experience once this is what you should do. Or, Oh, I just charge $10,000 for a court appearance. So nobody will then ever ask me to go. That's that just is not going to work. And all you're going to do is piss off a judge. Like there, what, who could possibly afford that? And, Oh, well, it's just cause I don't want to be here. Um, that's not how it works. And that's really not going to go well um, in, a, in a court of law um, because it is an important place and they are deciding important things there. And I think one of the most important things to remember is that if any of us as a treating therapist is being called into a court of law is to provide factual information about something that we know, something we saw, tasted, smelled, heard, your facts. Um, it's, we're not providing recommendations and opinions. We're stating the facts of work that we've done, things that we know. Mm-hmm. And so we have to remember that when we're being called into that room to, to provide that information, um, the judge does not appreciate um, people who don't show up or people who are trying <laughs> to say, I charge 10,000, you know, for this, but yet, you know, my hourly cash rate is, you know, 150. Okay. That doesn't add up. Um, it doesn't make sense. You have to be able to honestly and ethically answer as to what your fees are, you know, for a day in court. And it, and that's the other piece is there's different types of subpoenas. There's, you know, a subpoena that might come through from a private attorney, whereas that can also come through from maybe a district attorney or a, um, some like a public defender. When those guys are subpoenaing you, you're going to get whatever the terrible government rate is. If it's a private, then you have a much better chance of getting your fee paid that's set. And again, it's always preventative. You can't not have your fee set. And then after the fact, be like, oh, hey, you owe me a thousand bucks for today. They're like, what? I didn't sign anything. There's no contract. So it's always about being preventative. But I think what we, what we mentioned earlier is when you're in denial or you are panicked and anxious about something, you might be less likely to deal with it or to set your practice up for success, which is really being clear and concise from the point of intake, from that point of informed mm-hmm. consent 
as to what your boundaries are, right, for your practice when it comes to court. And I mean, I've been telling social workers, therapists, whoever, put it on your website. Put it on your website, what you do and don't do. Why wouldn't you put that out there so that when people are shopping, if you will, for a therapist who they think is going to write them some letter and maybe come testify for them, then maybe then they're, they're going to realize that you're not for them. Or maybe you are, maybe you don't mind doing that. But why wouldn't that be part of your information of services you offer or do not offer? Yeah. That doesn't mean, of course, that you're going to get away with not responding to a subpoena, but it is maybe speaking more to your ideal client, right? So we talk yeah. a lot about this in boot camp, right? We talk a lot about who are you trying to market to? Who are you trying to have in your practice? And why wouldn't we want to be more clear from the get-go, even before that intake? Why not put it on our websites? Like we don't write court letters. We, you know, this is our, not our preference to attend court, or maybe it is, but be clear about it. And then by the time that phone call, because you know everybody's looking online now, they're looking to see what we do and don't do. Yes. Why not provide that ahead of time? Save yourself some of the grief of that that initial intake, or three weeks in realizing, wow, they think I'm I'm going to write this letter. I don't want to go to court. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and writing those letters, honestly, it's like, it's like dangling a carrot in front of court. You think it's just going to be a letter? No, it's a very good letter is literally <laughs> just like, like a little treat, you know, it's just a little treat of more information that you have in your brain. And then why wouldn't they want to depose you or why wouldn't they want you to come into court? So again, we have to like think ahead and that's where it gets, I think, scary for at least a lot of my clients that come through therapist court prep. It's that I didn't want to think about this. I was hoping it would never happen. I hear those. I was hoping it would never happen, Nicole. And then I heard about you and somebody said, you help them again. Can you talk to me? And, and it's like, sometimes I can get people in. Sometimes I can't, cause I have a lot of court stuff going on for my, for my own practice, but it just being preventative, right. Just yeah. listening to this podcast, showing up to that, to that training you're offering. It's like, show up and get the information. Um, it's like taking an umbrella and then it doesn't rain. Right. So why not? Why wouldn't we do it? And I think that, again, I love what you're talking about, about informed consent. And that's something that we're talking about all the time is like your (laughs) website is that first step of informed consent. And I think, well, there's going to be some people listening here going like, well, it just happens so infrequently. It doesn't make sense for me. (laughs) If you are working with kids, if you're working with adults who are going through divorces, Right. right? If you are working with like, it's probably going to come up at some point if you're working with um, people that are working through substance abuse issues or that have anger issues like all these are all the things that can come up in terms of court and subpoenas and those other things and again it's one of those places of especially if you're in a high risk then like especially if you're working with kids right if you're working with blended families do it. <laughs> like, it's like not wearing a seatbelt when you get in the car. Nobody plans to get in a car accident, right? No, but it's like not wearing a seatbelt while you're racing cars. <laughs> yes. like, like to me, if you're working with kids and blended families, oh, God, if, yes. if you're working with kids and blended families and you are, do not have a court policy that you understand. And that is not, at least in your informed consent, preferably on your website, it is like you are going around at 300 miles an hour right? with, with no seatbelt on. I agree. And I, I want to say this about mm-hmm. informed consent. Cause I'm like, what does it really mean? We say it like all the time. We're really like letting people know what we can and can't do. 
right? We're letting them know what some of the risks might be. We're just, it's like a big FYI, right? Okay, so when you're doing your FYI, what would you want to include in that? And I think it's important, I always say, do your, do your court policy at the same time as your informed consent, because it should be before you start, because how, yes. how hard for somebody who's going through all of these things and then a month in or three months in, they're like, hey, can I get a letter from you? And you're like, I, I don't do those. And they're like, wait, did you tell me that you don't do those? Nope. Right. So again, if you do it from the very beginning, before you really start the care of somebody who's going through something really significant and traumatic, like the loss of a marriage, the loss of, you know, having full time with their kids, that stress level is insane. Now I'm not saying that clients don't forget what they signed or didn't sign. Cause a lot of us, when we go to that doctor's office, right. We just check, yeah. check, check, we sign things. But what I always encourage everyone to do is let's say a client does forget and you're three months in six months and you had that court policy and they signed it. I say, Hey, I want to, I want to remind you. Right. And it's a gentle reminder, but Hey, you send them just that one part. You just send them the court policy because they forget that court is not the cost of a copay or of an hourly rate that it's going to cost a lot more because you have to prepare. You're taking time away from your practice. Mm-hmm. You're wanting to make sure that you're not um, being put like on call and it's really disruptive. Um, you just want to have that information available. And I love that you can just sort of splice that part off. You email it to your client like, hey, remember this. I just want to make sure you remember yeah. this, 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 because they're in such a state of panic and stress. And then of course that starts to attach to the therapist because now they're feeling the panic and stress of a potential subpoena coming their way. Um, Mm -hmm. Or can you just send my records to my attorney or just do a phone call with my attorney or all the the glorious, you know, traps that, that could occur when, when we should be more succinct, more concise and more informative at that time of consent of here's what we can and can't do. Here's the type of consents that would have to be signed if you wanted your records released and who would they be released to? What would happen if there is a subpoena? What that would look like? So again, it's always being preventative and that's what an informed consent really is. It's, it's really being preventative. So we're just adding this piece on of being informative about this court piece that yes, a lot of therapists hope they never have to go. And I, I totally get that. But at the same time, we need to be honest and upfront and transparent with our clients as to what we can and can't do. Yeah. Um, and what, and if, if we are called, then here's what is required and here are the fees and here's what would have to happen. And so couples therapists, especially, um, mm-hmm. you know, because they're seeing, they're seeing the client, which is the couple. And then let's say just one of the, of those, the couple wants to, you know, get the records, the other one doesn't what does that do? You need signatures from both. You need consent from both. Mm -hmm. So otherwise you're invoking privilege, maybe on the stand or you're, you're doing that towards an attorney. But again, it's like just being more willing to look down five minutes ahead as to what could happen Mm -hmm. um, with one of your clients, because it shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise that a subpoena or a converse, that kind of conversation comes up because that's what you're probably talking about in session. I'm guessing. Right. Well, and, <laughs> and I, I haven't watched it yet. I, I'm, I'm wondering if you like the, the Depp and Heard trial right now. And, and I saw like a few little snippets of the therapist and you're just like, Oh, who brought this woman? What's <laughs> happening? There's, there's, there's two therapists, um, hired and, um, I want to give a shout out to Dr. Curry, um, who is the therapist, um, and the evaluator, um, who conducted herself in a really fantastic professional 
Um, I also say just a clean, a, a clean testimony. You know, mm-hmm. she sticks, she stays within her scope. She's clear. She's teaching. She's explaining what we can and can't do when we have certain roles, what's expected of us. And I think it's a great lesson for reminding all of us when we do take that stand and when we do our own work, staying in our scope is everything. It's a way to protect ourselves, but it's also a way to make sure that we're protecting our clients and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I only caught a short bit of her testimony and the other, um, the other therapist evaluators testimony, um, because I was prepping for a very big trial, which just went into, um, pre-trial settlement. So we'll see if that goes through. Um, but so that's why we're here today. Cause I was like, I'm not in trial. Um, but I, I, I was impressed with that. And I thought, oh my gosh. And she said something, Dr. Curry said something I'm like, that's what I teach. Yes. It was so, it was such an affirming moment to see another, another person get on that stand and be really clear about what we can and can't do and staying within our scope. And I just appreciated that because mm. I think that's where a lot of us get into, um, d- dangerous territory, if you will. And that's why a subpoena can be so scary. It's because you're not really sure and what you can and can't do. And that's um, where I think a lot of the stress comes in. Um, when I work with therapists who have a, a pending, you know, um, court situation, I'll say, you know, what's your scope? And, and I get kind of like the deer in the headlights look Aww. and, and I'm like, okay, all right, that's cool. Like, let's figure it out. Let's figure it out because mm-hmm. if we can do the work before we get in that room and get really clear then you recognize that your role when you do have to show up for a subpoena, right? Your role as a therapist, as a fact witness, right? You, you have to recognize what your scope is. And it's when we step outside of it that we get into, you know, difficult territory. So it's pulling it back in and just getting really focused on what we should and shouldn't be doing. Um, and that's part of our profession. But you know, of course we all get sucked in at some point because we care for our clients and that's what we're supposed to do. Um, and, and that's why, you know, I, I could go in for hours about not providing recommendations because you have to split the two, mm-hmm. split the difference between when you're, you're, be, you're receiving a subpoena as a fact witness, you're not receiving a subpoena as an expert witness because those they're asking for two very different things. So the first thing you do when you get a subpoena is you read it. You, I literally, I'm so old school. I photocopy it. <laughs> literally, is that still a term photocopy? I print it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So I, you're going to laugh. I have like four printers because I'm so old school and I'm sorry for the trees, but I have to highlight and underline yeah. and see, and that's just my method. And so when I get, if I get a subpoena, I, or for in my, um, sometimes I get a written stip, but I will print it. And then I highlight and I'm highlighting all the big words and I am making sure I understand what's being asked of me and, you know, and is it, is it going to, um, is it going to be an appearance or is this just asking for records or, you know, mm-hmm. the time, the place now a lot of depositions are by zoom and which is fantastic. So, oh, it's great. It's great. So again, like what's being asked, but again, subpoenas for me are not a surprise. And honestly, for a treating therapist, they shouldn't really be either. So it's mm-hmm. really, again, preventative website informed consent. You're talking to your client. And then if something does come in again, there's more conversation with your client. It's not just like, I think that's one of the first things, I mean, we've been running business school for a long time and we, you know, got a license for your court policy because we were just like, it was one of those things where we're like, this is something that we're going to invest a bunch of money in to make sure 
that everybody who comes through our process has this and that there's no question of, and it's not even like your court policy is horribly expensive on its own, but we saw too many people who were like skipping it. It was so like, painful. It's it was like, super painful. And then they'd be like, what do I do? And we're like, well, what is your court policy? Number one, like, did you have a court policy? And like, well, no, what? I didn't get to like, no, no, <laughs> damn it. So I love that like, it's included. I love yeah. it's included for boot campers because again, you're, you're learning to build a business. We were never taught how to build our businesses, right? We've talked about it a hundred times and we'll keep talking about it because therapists who go into private practice, it doesn't matter how much school or all the hours, we just weren't taught that we were really taught how to go do therapy, honestly, for somebody else's agency. It was never even like a conversation. So I, I think the, the eye-opening moments of boot camp. there's so many, but one of the big ones is you're building a business. Yeah. And when you build a business, you should protect it. And how do you protect it? You do your job correctly, right? You stay in your scope yeah. and right. You're, you're upfront, you're transparent about what you can and can't do. Right. And you're, you're, you're doing that from that point of informed consent. And that's what I love about boot campers. They, they may not know the value of it yet, but at the point of informed consent to then step into right a court policy and start talking about it before two years later or five years later whatever or six months later there's a subpoena at their doorstep and they're like you know and there have been a couple that have reached out to me and, and I feel terrible because of course it's an emergency and I can't get to them because I have court or I have something going on yeah. and I'm like go back in a boot camp. It's there. Like there's a class in there. I know I did one. I'm trying to remember. I know I did one and, or go on my website and like, just read the book, like, but do something. Don't just sit in fear, like take some steps and be preventative. Cause we, none of us want to wait until that emergency happens because then of course, you know, we flipped our lids, our prefrontals shot off to somewhere else. And we are trying to reason what's happening. And we're so, I think, scared and fearful of, you know, what it could mean, um, that it's really great to get ahead of all of that. Like, why not get that seatbelt? Like, let's do yeah, that. Yeah, put it on, feel, feel safe and comfortable. <laughs> I think there's the other part too, is again, people have gotten such bad advice. Well, you know, what's the best way to avoid a subpoena, you know, for <laughs> records? Well, just make sure you don't have any records, you know, like, we're just not going to take any notes. Uh-huh. Okay? We're going to take, put these notes in that are just like completely useless or just, they say the same thing, copied and pasted for every single client. I know, Nicole, if if you're watching the vlog, it's great. If you're not watching the vlog, right? She's like rubbing her neck, trying to like, oh, this is making my heart, like my body's hurting. It's if I should have done this for us is so, you know, I forget which like late night talk shows and they read like mean tweets and stuff, but I, I should make a list of like crazy, crazy advice that I've, I've read in in the social media groups of like, oh, um, I charge 10,000 or, oh, I just never respond. Okay. So let me just give you like a real quick snippet is if you choose not to respond to subpoena, you can have something called a bench warrant. Yeah. And you may not know you have one because, you know, everybody's busy and maybe, you know, cops aren't coming out, but, but maybe that one day you get pulled over, you know, you have a, you have a headlight out or a taillight. And they're like, Oh, let me look you up. Oh, wait, you have a bench warrant. And maybe they feel like picking you up that night. You get a new set of bracelets. No, who wants to do that? (laughs) 
why, why would you risk something like that? I just, I can't even wrap my head around it. The court is not to be ignored. Okay. Well, and this is the thing is sometimes, sometimes we have a lot of fear about our board of behavioral sciences, right? It's like, there's these fears and panics about that. Of course. And, and I understand it, but it's also like, you, you realize if you're ignoring a subpoena, like these are the basics of like legal, like following the law. Like these are the kind of things that your board is going to, you're going to get in trouble for, (laughs) like you're not doing the basics. And, and so it's this funny thing where you see someone saying, well, oh, I'm so worried about what the board will say. So I'm not going to write any notes so that they can't say, you know, like, it's just, and again, it's, I think it's all based out of fear. It's all based out of people getting misinformation and not getting good training. I did a training, this is years ago. And I feel like it's long enough ago that I could like say it out loud that I did a training and it was like the top 10 things of like going paperless. And this was before paperless was like really like a thing. Oh, okay. So it was for this organization, um, for like a state organization, a state professional organization. And one of the board members of the state organization came up afterwards and they said, Hey, I have a paperless office. I said, Oh, cool. They said, no, no, no. Paperless. I don't have anybody sign anything. There's no informed consent. Oh Lord. There's no records. Oh, it's a turning my stomach. Nothing. And I don't know what to do. <laughs> and you know, here's this great human who's doing oh. service that's that's part of like a professional organization who oh. is respected by their peers holding this kind of secret. Why? Because they were not taught how to do this in a way that was sustainable. They weren't given skills. And so now they're in this kind of crazy risk thing. And then it's like, well, what do I do now? Do I start having people sign things? I've been working with these people for years. Like how do I fix this? Yeah. You know, we we do that. So I, if I get a call about, you know, um, I don't have a court policy, but now all these things are happening and I say, okay, look, you're, I'm going to need you to take some time this weekend. And here's what I need you to do, right? I need you to put this policy in place. And then I want you to get it to all of your clients and ask them to discuss it with you so that you can get everybody on board um, to say, and, and it's not uncommon, honestly, to go to a doctor's office and to have to sign new documents. We do it all the time. So why as therapists, are we so scared to say, Hey, I've got new documents. We need to discuss and have you sign if you agree. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so why we're not doing that? I'm not sure, but it is a very common thing for me. Um, when I'm prepping somebody is to say, let's stop. How many of your clients don't have this? All of them. Okay. How many clients are we talking about? 30. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to send this out to all 30 of them, right? Ask them if they have any questions or concerns, like before they sign it, like get them on board. And then the client that didn't sign it, then has it, see if they're willing to sign it, see if they're willing to say, yes, I understand that this is. And if they refuse, then you're probably not going to be able to collect any fees for whatever court related activity you're going to have to do because you didn't provide that from the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't contract that. So, but why wouldn't you at least try Try. and say, Hey, this is what it is. I I, I apologize. I haven't provided this to you sooner. However, right. Upon consultation, right. I want to make sure everybody gets this, please consider it. And that, and then you at least have a chance, right. But it's when you aren't providing anything. Yeah. It's crazy making. Um, but the notes thing that you brought up happens more often than not, I hear people say, I, I was told not to take any, or I keep them really brief. 
notes and that this is this is work that I've done um, with the great uh, Dr. Melissa Hull, who's really had good conversations from QA prep, really good conversations with me about the value of notes, right? Because I think a lot of us always have dreaded those notes. You talk to Melissa and she enjoys them and you're like, okay, I need a little bit of that sunshine. Because <laughs> like, notes know. are the best. This is right? so good for the client. Like, it's all excited. So supportive. I know. You're like, what? So it's really good to have conversations with her because um, she talks about that value and fellow boot camper, right? And she she gets this, this sense of what notes really belong to our clients. We're writing them on their behalf. And how would it feel for a client after three years to say, I'd like my notes and we've determined, right? They're not a danger to, to themselves or others by releasing these notes, but there's nothing in them, right? And they're like, wait, I, I spent hours, hours with you, weeks, maybe a year, like talking about all these things and there's nothing recorded, like didn't it matter? And I, the reason I think records matter is because from working with kids for a lot of years. And now some of those kids are adults and have reached back out to me and they've talked about what it's like to not have information about these important things that happen in their lives. And just this sense of emptiness, like it's like, they've literally had a big portion of life, not only chopped away at, but not valued by the adults that were there caring for them. And, Mm -hmm. and that I think is the you know, best practice to provide as much as possible. And that's why I love having kids help me with their notes, which is super fun. Um, what should we talk about? What do you think we talked about? No, we, and they, they'll correct you. Don't forget. We also talked about this and we did that. It's great. Um, but again, because we don't want it to be like this super big mystery, this is the work we're doing with our clients. And again, if we've just, just determined it's not a danger for them to have access, yeah. it's theirs. They belong to them. So I think Melissa, and it's, and about, like, it's their stuff. It's their stuff. It's it's this external place. And I think definitely as a trauma therapist and even as like a human who lived through trauma, there's nothing more maddening than having people in your life tell you that things didn't happen, that you misremember them because they don't like the, they don't like the memory. And so they've decided to um, minimize it, to deny it, to blame, to whatever. And then when you find the image or you find the thing, or you find the text, you know, nowadays, right. People are screenshotting all the texts and all these things, because it's this place of saying like, and again, for good or for bad, but it's like this, like, Hey, I'm validated. Like, I'm not crazy. Yeah. Like this was my experience. Yeah. I'm not making it up. Right. And I think that place. And I think sometimes or I know that when it comes to trauma, sometimes people want to protect by not writing it down. Yes. And sometimes even like I've had clients where I need to write down the trauma, but, but they were coming to me for another reason. And then had an attorney use that to say, Oh, here's why we're not going to give this settlement in this case, because this was complicated about this other stuff. But like, it still was true. It still was the reality and changing the reality to try to fit a narrative for this other attorney would not have, you know, it's not right. It's, it's not. And it's, and I think too, as somebody who, you know, when you look at your notes and you're like determining and what I've heard again and again from therapists, I didn't want the client to be hurt by what was in there, or I was trying to think ahead. And like, we never really know how or what will come of the notes, but they need to be honest and they need to be truthful and they need to be professional. And, and I always appreciate a thorough note. I mean, I, I draw sometimes and especially with kids and, um, I was deposed and, um, as a therapist, um, for this case, and it had been a few years 
And he said, what, what does it say here? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I can't read it. <laughs> it was something I'd written next to the house. Cause I always draw houses with kids and, uh-huh. and I just couldn't read my own writing. I was like, man, that's why I type everything now. Cause I'm, like, <laughs> I'm the worst handwriting in the world, but it did jog my memory having those houses and having, it was like, I, I mean, it took me back to that place of working with that kiddo and understanding the dynamics. And I was able to, I think, speak in a more concise clear manner and provide the facts of the case of my particular, you know, case. And then whatever the court does with that, we don't have that control. And I think that's what we fall into as therapists is we feel that it's our, not only protective, but some of us, maybe me have some control issues. Um, so maybe <laughs> some parentification and over-responsibility that maybe. like, we're going to yes. fix, yes. fix everyone in the world. Just yes. you though, not me. I'm uh, not that person. I'll take it. Um, and so and with that though, comes that, that extra layer of where we're trying to then be preventative in that way, but it's not really being forthcoming about what actually occurred in that session. And I think we all need to get back to a place where we're honoring our notes, where we're, we're, it's a way that we're caring for our clients is by being accurate in those notes. Um, and, and that, however that's used, we don't have that kind of control and that's really not our job. Again, staying in scope. What's our job? Our job is to treat, right. To provide, and then to record. Cause again, that, you know, it, I always think of it belongs to them. Those are their records. And, mm-hmm. and I would hate for somebody three years later, look back and go, she didn't even write any of that stuff down. That was so important, you know? So I, I and think, I, that, I think that is, you know, you, you brought up, uh, Melissa Hall of QA prep.com. And or, sorry, Melissa McCaffrey, uh, right? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa McCaffrey. I follow uh, my, my, my old habits. Same, same here. I was like, wait a minute. No, that's not right. <laughs> you know, sometimes we change our professional name. So Melissa McCaffrey of qaprep.com and um, the collaborative note taking, right? It does so many things. It gets you and your client on the same page. It means you're doing notes in session, y'all. So yeah. they don't have notes to do afterwards. Yeah. Um, and, and you're, you're doing a process that, that really works and is connected. Yeah. And I think that like, you can take so many things. It can, you can have a build a better connection with your client. You know, that you're taken care of. It doesn't mean they have to be perfect. You, you right. don't have to be perfect, but right. you do your best through the process. I think also, you know, my, for, for good or for bad, like my best experience in terms of, of notes and, and the idea of a subpoena for me, I, I definitely had things subpoenaed, um, but I had a review after a client had a suicide where everybody comes in with the documentation. Yes. Um, and there was, you know, talking about the, the piece. And I remember somebody was was saying in particular, they said, wow, you know, I'm really impressed with the, the documentation on this case. Yeah. And, and I, I, I raised my hand and I said, you know, <clears throat> I'm going to be honest. I didn't, I don't usually document this much, but this case scared the out of me. And I felt this need to really document at a higher level. And, and again, this is the piece where sometimes we do the opposite right? We do the opposite. And actually everyone in the room said the same thing. Yeah. Like, okay, we kind of knew what this was going to happen. When we know that something's going to go, it actually makes more sense to be clearer and to document more and not to document less. Um, and it, 
it, I think even in that particular case, I think there was, it was protective for the people involved of saying like, yeah, this did not end well, but we all did our best. We did our best. We, 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 we tried to engage every person and every resource that we could, you know, here are all the things, this is all of our heart that we put into it. Like these are all the things and we did our best versus this place of people have these notes and somebody's saying, well, here's why I did or didn't do this thing. And but there's nothing documented in the, into the no. I mean, we're talking about this with a case before we got on this idea of all of these differing opinions of what people are saying after the fact a year or seven later. And now it's a, a they said, they said kind of situation versus like, put it down. This is why I called this. Here's what I did. Here's why I didn't do that. Here's why it didn't feel necessary in this particular day and case. And oftentimes so, it is years later. And sometimes, I mean, it's, and it, you really are jogging your own memory. Um, and so I'm a very visual person, like almost to a fault where I, I see, I have to write things out. I have to genogram until like, I'm, you know, blue in the face. I have to see, I have to see it. And, and so with notes and with cases, like there's certain things that will ring true, but then some just don't like click the same way. And, you know, anytime I'm, I'm, you know, being deposed about a kiddo, um, for me, it's very important to, you know, have a timeline. And that's something that we'll, we'll probably get into at the training is to really talk about the value of timelining your case of being able to really quickly and easily respond to when you first took a call and when you first saw somebody and maybe the first time you had to pick up the phone and call in a report or maybe the time that you had a no show, but it's such a, um, a calming experience at least for me on the stand to have a timeline that is just something quick to go to. So I'm not flipping through 400 pages of documents, trying to find something, which I have seen in court so many times, I can't even count whether it's a therapist or a social worker, they show up with these crazy looking files. And when they ask, they're asked something as simple as when did you first start treating them? They're like, hold on. And they start flipping through and they, you, you can see them getting nervous because everybody's waiting. You know, you've got the court reporter with their hands or like this and the room gets really tense and there's mm-hmm. just a way to avoid all that. And again, it's preventative knowing you're going to be going there timelining, making a really simple, easy go-to. But I also like this for honestly, clinically, I think when you're working with somebody who's potentially high risk, I think having a really simple timeline towards the front of your folder to just kind of take a glance at, it kind of shows you those sparks, right? Those hot spots so -hmm. that you get a sense of things are calm, things are not. And maybe you're, you're recognizing what those triggers were. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this helps you also be preventative when you're treating somebody who is high risk for whatever reason is to Mm -hmm. pay attention to those hot spots for them or when they started no showing or when they started showing up with marks and bruises or whatever that thing is. Mm -hmm. But I, to me, the timeline is a clinical tool, but for me, it's also a forensic tool because you can use it for both, but we all get kind of sucked into our cases and then something like a subpoena happens and we get sucked right back. But when you can just glance at your case Mm. from a very um, succinct manner, it helps us step outside of that bubble that I think we all kind of get sucked into, at least I do. And then I can just take a look and be like, oh, oh, oh my gosh okay, this happens every three months or this happens every six months or this happens every time the dad shows up or the mom. Uh And it's just a quick look and it helps us not get, I think, sucked in where we get kind of tunnel visioned. And then you can also use that same timeline for if you happen to go to court, it's so easy. I love this this piece, this intersection. There are so many places where this happens where what is best clinically 
is also what's best business and like, yes. and protecting and CYA and covering our own tissues, all the things that they, that there's an intersection place. And when we come together as therapists and we talk about these things and we really dig into best practices and we come up with ways to do it in a way that feels easy and flowing and what have you, it really is like, oh, it's such a relief. So I'm so, so excited that we get to have you come to this training. We have a training coming up. It is at the beginning of June, on June the 7th. Um, you can go to zinnyme.com, um, click on free and go and register um, for that event. And we're going to be diving into what are the things you could do to sort of help avoid, like how can we give informed consent so people that really want us to go to court can go somewhere else and go elsewhere if that's not what we want. How do we ensure when somebody does subpoena us that we're going to get paid for our time and having a good court policy and what, what are the efforts of that? And then digging into like, what is the stage when you actually get a subpoena and what are those pieces? Now it's going to be an hour. It's not going to cover everything in the whole wide world. Um, but uh, you probably haven't listened or heard any of this information <laughs> and an hour is going to be all you can take in at that moment. And you're going to leave with some to do's and you're going to start making progress in this area. And that's all you need to do is progress, not perfection. We just have to get out of the shutdown. We start to start moving, making some movement, taking ownership of what's happening in our businesses and stop looking on Facebook groups. I love Facebook groups. I own a Facebook. I own, I run a Facebook group, yeah. like 15,000 yeah. people. That is not the place to get legal advice y'all. Okay. That is not just, the place. It's, it's just, it's always like with a grain of salt. Right. And it's yeah. like anything else, just because we've had five experiences does not mean that's how they will all turn out. And I think what ends up happening in the groups is it's like, Oh, I went for this and this is what happened. Here's what you should do. And I'm always like grain of salt. I don't really say a lot in those groups. I just will post my website or just say, please be careful. Please stay in scope. You know, cause I, I get that sense that we start going in the other direction. Please don't just charge $10,000 for the day. Cause it's not going to work out well. I don't want to see you getting screamed at by a judge. Um, and so grain of salt and, you know, and what I provide honestly is consultation. And if, if somebody is looking for legal advice, I send them to, um, their malpractice insurance usually provides that, um, my, my experience really comes from doing this work as a therapist, working closely with attorneys. And then I moved into doing expert witness work because I really feel like, um, it's, it's, it's a, it's more of a calling to help our fellow therapists, um, protect the important work that we do. And I know a lot of therapists really don't enjoy any of the court world. And I'm the weird one because I do, but thank God I had Miranda Kelly to explain it to me years ago. Be like, Hey, you need to set up therapist court prep. And here's why and like, so many people need this. And I was like, I don't know. Like, it's just so, like, I would just like talk to people on the phone and help them like at nights and on the weekends. And they're like, we're, okay, you need to like make this easier on yourself. <laughs> we were like at most awesome conference um, years ago. And, and Nicole's like arguing. She's like, I don't, do you think that's a thing? And we're like, Hey y'all. So let me just ask this question. There's like 30 therapists. They're like, Oh my God. Yes. And like, you must do this. And suddenly it wasn't just Kelly and I saying, Nicole, like this really is needed. And it's not like you are the person to do it in particular. There's no one else that has the skill to do it. Uh, but now there was 25 people there saying, I need this and I want it. Like, this is so important. And I know like, <laughs> tap, <laughs> like uh, we have a, a person in 
common Tabby Westbrook, Brooke, um, who's a, a trauma therapist, um, kind of all over, but has a group practice in North Carolina that's thriving and then is in Texas right now. Um, and she got called in and subpoenaed in a really high profile televised case. Um, and she was able to work with you to get prepped and to really make a difference in her client's life by being a good prepared factual witness. Like it was amazing. And even the preparation, um, there is this great video of Tabby, like getting excited because the, the, the other side did something really silly and asked a silly question, but Tabby knew exactly what that meant and how it was an opportunity to really show up, um, in that thing of like, Ooh, yeah. And it, it made the difference in the outcome of that case, um, for her client, like, and that's all, like, I know she will say, yes, she's an amazing therapist, but all of that confidence in that court case, um, and her preparation at that level, like so much of that was like, absolutely, oh. absolutely you. So if, Thank if you. any of you ever, in, in addition to come to this thing, let's make sure, but if you do get subpoenaed and you're going to have to go and present, um, in person, if Nicole is possibly available, um, it doesn't always happen. And at the very least, even if she's not available, she does have a whole manual and like what to do and what she actually has people go through the process of doing. And if you are someone who does go into court regularly and you feel like it's not ever quite right, <laughs> go get her manual at therapist court prep. Um, you're going to get some very specific, like time tested. This is what really works. And these are the steps to take to change your relationship with court. So anyways, I will stop yelling at that. I know I kept Nicole on here over long, but uh, go to zinnyme.com, check it out, come to this next training. We'll have it up for just a week for replays, and then it goes into our private community. So be ready to get this information and take action, y'all. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see everybody. I hope you guys all come to the training. Please, please come. It'll be so much fun. All right, y'all. See you soon. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Starting a Counseling Practice podcast. Just a reminder, if you want some support in your private practice, we have an upcoming free training on creating a subpoena process. So check it out at zinnime.com and we'll see you next time.